Hello, welcome back to another episode of Talk of Fame Podcast with your host, Kaya Martini, and this is race day episode because we're joined by a veteran sportscaster who works for Seattle Mariners, interpreter, keynote speaker, and communication expert, Jen Mueller. What I can't thank you so much for coming on the podcast, but like, what can you do? Like, you you can do everything. Like, thank you so much for um, coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Absolutely. This is going to be fun. Mm, for sure. And like, I want to ask you, like, why was being a sports broadcaster, I know you've been doing this for a couple of years, like, why was it kind of like a fit for you? You're very kind to say it's been a couple of years. It's actually been more than 20 years, but a couple of years makes me seem less old than I actually am. <laughs> but sports broadcasting, I tease people, or I, I kind of joke in saying, Sports fits my personality and sports broadcasting fits my skill set. I am a super competitive person. I was an athlete all through high school. I found ways to compete when I was in college. So I love being around sports. I was a sports fan long before I was a sports broadcaster, but I am also the person who got talks too much on every report card. And it got encouraged to go in the direction of broadcasting. So my skill set of being able to talk, um, extroverted, enjoy people and being able to tell stories. That's why sports broadcasting fits my set. Mm, like I was exact, exactly the same way. I grew up in sports. I literally come with a brother that plays baseball basically every single day. Like It's like I've been a sports fan for four years. I grew up in a sports family. Like if you... For example, if you come to my house and a whole basement is basically all Penn State football type of things. For example, yes. it's all crazy. And like, were you always, were, are you originally from Seattle or are you from uh, out of state? Nope. I was born in Louisiana, grew up mostly in Texas. My family is still in Houston, but I have lived in Seattle for more than 22 years now. Mm, amazing. Like, how did you get the job with uh, the Seattle Mariners? I, like, I know I, like, with being, bringing sports, you need tons of experience. I know, like, I already have a job with a baseball team. I'm like, honestly, like, this gets started early rather than just wait until college. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a non-traditional path that I took. I do have a degree in broadcasting journalism. I knew that I wanted to be on TV, but the first job that I got right out of school was behind the scenes. I was an associate sports producer. My second job was as a sports producer. So everything was happening behind the scenes. The producer is the one who decides what's going to be talked about it in a sports broadcast, the order the stories are going to go, and how much time you spend each one of the stories. Producers typically write all of the scripts for the anchors, um, sometimes for the reporters. So I was doing that for the first six or seven years of my career. On the side at night, when everybody would go home, I was working on my own resume reel to be on air. But the job I was hired for at Root Sports was to be a producer. And I showed them what I'd been working on behind the scenes and asked if I could have an opportunity to just try because I've been working on some on-air tapes and it didn't take longer than about three weeks before something happened. They needed somebody who could both produce a show and go out and host a show. So everything kind of came together. A non-traditional way to end up on TV, but I've been on the Mariners broadcast now 16 years and I still produce a weekly show. That's amazing. Like, did you like, um, 
like were you like an anchor or were you, were you just like a reporter because i know like being a producer like there's like two different things in terms of like anchoring reporting because i know my cousins either like i met, remember my cousin being this reporter and then she switched an anchor yeah so when i was a producer i was just producer but at night everybody would leave i would take the sound bite that the reporters had used in their packages. And I would work on my own. I would rework it and pretend I was the reporter. So it'd be 2am. I'm sitting at my desk and I'm pretending like I'm turning in the story that day. I would ask photographers would go out and I get to shoot one stand up to put in those packages. I would show my boss, who's also a mentor and a dear friend. He would give me feedback and critiques. And I did this for years behind the scenes where nobody was watching. I've always been more interested in reporting and anchoring. So the difference typically is an anchor is kind of, um, not only are they running the show, but they're at the desk. A reporter is typically in the field. I want to be in the field. I want to be in the middle of the action. I want to be in the clubhouse or the locker room, which is a lot of fun after a win. It's really hard after losses, but I still want to be the one who is bringing you the story from that vantage point. So reporting has always been my big interest, but I was working behind scenes. I, I was doing anything to show people I was serious. Mm-hmm. Like, did you like work with the Seattle? Like, did you cover the Seattle Mariners right when you started reporting, or was it kind of like different things in your area? Well, so part of this is when you work for regional sports network, you work on broadcasts that they have the rights to was not the first thing that I started to do. We had high school football on our air. And when you're a reporter, the way that you work into higher leverage situations. So if we're kind of thinking about baseball here, right? Mm-hmm. So you can be a reporter and everything can be taped. It's not live. That's what I was doing first. I would go out and do 30 minute shows where I could be the reporter, but everything was on tape. So if I messed something, we could do it again. If I didn't look the way that looked, we could we could fix it with some editing. We could move things around. But there wasn't a lot of pressure to get it right with a live audience watching, right? So if we screwed up, it was a pretty okay situation to grow up in. Then I was able to do things on our high school football broadcast, and I was able to do guidelines and post-game interviews for that. So that's one of those like easy entry point into being on camera. There were people watching, not as many as a Mariners game, and it was a good spot for me to get my feet wet. Mm-hmm. The Sonics were in town at that point. Yeah. So I did some high school football and basketball. I did the Sonics. I did some Storm, WNBA. All of those would be like a couple of times a week. And then when the Mariners, when I started working Mariners broadcast, that's what it was. Okay. Every day you're at the ballpark and we're doing live TV. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's literally nothing better than like covering like sporting events, how does baseball, like football, WNBA. It's like nothing is better like than like covering sports or anything, mm-hmm. no matter which one it is. And like with being reporting, like the best part about it is like you can just edit it if you mess up. That's the best part. But like when you're live anchoring, like you kind of just, it's it doesn't really change, I feel. Well, so, but when you're working on the broadcast that I work on, 
it is live. It is all live reporting. It is all live post-game interviews. There is not any chance to turn. I mean, like it would be recorded two minutes earlier, but we don't have time to edit that. That's what we call live to tape. So, you know, now we go to the ballpark. You have to be on all the time. Like you oh, yeah. always have to be thinking and putting the pieces together. And, and it's one of the reasons I am so, so passionate about pairing and writing down questions ahead of time, because I have the opportunity to screw up in those moments. I don't get a whole lot of time to do interviews. There's no chance for a do-over. So I better be really, really good out of the gate when I'm doing those live interviews. For sure. And like you were um, in terms of adult flag football official in college like was it like a high school flag football or was it a kind of college or how long did you kind of do that for with the flag football and stuff yep so remember I had said I was uh, an athlete through high school I found ways to compete in college intramurals was one of those and I became an intramural flag football official something I did four years in college and it was one of the ways that I established credibility in the world of sports. Back in those days, which makes me sound so old, they were not exactly encouraging women to be in sports. And it was super competitive. We didn't have regional sports networks. You didn't have social media. Teams did not have their own media entities. There weren't that many sports jobs available. So I wanted to show people that I was serious and I needed a different angle than any of the guys that I was in class with who had played football before. I grew up in Texas. Everybody loves football. Everybody mm -hmm. knows football. But this was going to be the way that I separated myself. After a couple of years of intramural flag football, I had reached the highest level of that and I wanted a new challenge. So I did become a high school football official while I was in Texas. I did that for 10 years. It taught me a lot about the game. It taught me a lot about um, managing people. It taught me a lot about having thick skin and not letting things get to me. And it is some most fun that I've ever had. You talk about being in the middle of the action, an official is literally in the middle of the action. Mm. It can be a lot of fun to be on the field. It can be a challenge, but yeah, it started off as something they had fun with to, to uh, establish credibility. And I did it for a number of years as a result. That's amazing. That's like the best part about working in sports, or even as a reporter, is like you're literally in the middle of action, no matter what, mm -hmm. whether it's on the field. Um, a reporter or basically entertain the crowd. I, that's why I do for work it's entertaining. But like that's literally the best part about it is that like you are get to be part of the whole kind of game day experience. No matter if you mm -hmm. went to games there before, like you you sometimes have to enjoy it as a fan, but then like it's a total different experience when you basically kind of be in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. It absolutely is. And it's um it's an honor to be in the middle of it. It's a really big honor doing the job that I do now where you talk to people and essentially I'm giving athletes a platform to share their story. They're going to talk about some of their milestones for years and years and years. They're going to talk about getting a Gatorade bath after a big home run or a walk-off win. And I'm standing right there. I mean, them during the interview, either helping the guys facilitate the Gatorade bath or just bring that conversation to life in front of the audience so that everybody has a memory about it. And that's a, a tremendous honor during the course of my career.
Mm-hmm. Like, do you have like a, a memorial interview that you did for the Mariners, or just like journalism and sketch and like general? Like, do you have a favorite interview? Yeah, my favorite interview of all time is the one that I did after Felix Hernandez threw a perfect game. Happened back in 2012. I was the first person who got to interview him. And there was a little bit of a, there was a backstory there, but everybody could see the coming. Everybody knew that Felix was on his game. And we had had a little bit of a disagreement earlier in the year. We patched that up in the back of my mind thinking, what if he doesn't want to talk to me? Like, what if he does something really, really cool and he doesn't want to talk to me after the game? That would not only be embarrassing for me and hurtful, that's a really big problem in my job when it is my job to do that interview. But he, uh, he walked right over to me afterwards. Uh, we gave each other a hug. Is my favorite interview. It is also one of the best interviews I've ever done. Hmm. Early in the summer, the Mariners had a combined no-hitter. Mm-hmm. And my questions after that game were subpar. And I watched those interviews and I thought, man, I really screwed it up. I should have asked all these different questions. I really let the audience down. But as the perfect game was unwinding for Felix, or unfolding, I should say, not unwinding. As it was unfolding, I was thinking about how I made mistakes earlier in the year and I made sure that those questions, those three questions that I asked were really dialed in. It was a great interview. Um, and it is my favorite of all time. That's amazing. Like you like, like I'm like actually so jealous you got to interview Felix after his like perfect game. I'm like actually so jealous that it happened. It is really cool. I've covered a number of no-hitters and seen a couple perfect games in person. It is really cool. Mm-hmm, for sure. And like with being a woman in sports, just like with being a reporter or someone, something involved in sports, like did you have to do with giving opportunities to men rather than women while working in sports or even in college? Like, did you kind of have to deal with that? I never noticed it. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not happening, but I also don't think of myself as a woman working in sports. I think of myself as a sports broadcaster. I've never had time to think about what I was getting versus what somebody else was getting because it's hard to be successful. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what industry you're working in. What I will say is there weren't as many opportunities for anybody back then because, like I said before, we didn't have regional sports networks. Now, teams have their own teams, right? They're doing a ton of stuff online and through social media. There's so many different outlets and opportunities that now I think everybody's got a better shot. Back then, we were all competing for a handful of jobs. Um, I don't know if men got preferential treatment over me. I know that I did the very best to separate myself by being a football official, by working hard, by starting internships as soon as I come college. And I felt like I was prepared. It ended up paying off and I would have been proud of myself either way. So I'm not sure if other people got different opportunities. I just know that, um, I worked as hard as I could so people could see I was the right person for the job. Mm-hmm. Like I know it would kind of like people like to label themselves as like a woman in sports. I know a lot of people do like to label themselves like that. And like 
like even though just sometimes might not have tons of opportunities as a woman, I know that like the key to getting a job, not necessarily in sports or journalism or whatever you do is working hard, like you said. Like the key is it to basically grow as a person. That's really the key to getting a job is working hard and grow like your resume. Well, and you've got to find a way to advocate for yourself. And that's what I would say. And so one of the things I did very early on was, and talk about this with my corporate clients through my company Talk Sporty. There's a reason I'm very passionate about how you introduce yourself and how you take advantage of the first few seconds of a conversation. It's because that is the only thing I was guaranteed when I was first getting into the industry. I couldn't guarantee that people were going to take me seriously. I can guarantee that they would talk to me for five minutes or 15 minutes or return a phone call. What I knew for sure is that they would stand there for 15 seconds and pay attention while I introduced myself or while I like had that first part of a conversation. So I made sure that I know how to maximize that. I call it a success statement. It's about being very intentional and strategic about calling out a recent success and how you introduce yourself to somebody. Mm-hmm. Because like the key to kind of like doing journalism or basically being a sportscaster is like, no matter if it's like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, a couple of seconds, like you can always take a couple of seconds to really kind of introduce yourself and be like, hey, like my name is like Kylie, for example. I this will take 50 seconds, then you can go. That is asked one or two questions and kind of Yeah, and. And and here's the thing about that. So when you introduce yourself to athletes, they need to know why you're doing that. Because everybody starts going, why is Kylie coming up and talking to me right now? Like, okay, so you've got a microphone, clearly want to talk to me, but what are we talking about? So if I'm Mm -hmm. to introduce myself to an athlete for the first time, I'll say something like, hey, AJ, my name is Jen. I work on the Mariners broadcast team. And at some point, we're going to do an interview this year. I just wanted to introduce myself before that happens. It takes about 15 seconds to say that. And now AJ knows exactly what it is that I'm looking for in that conversation. And I already established the fact that I'm going to talk to him again. So when I go up and talk to him the next time, it's not awkward. He's expecting me to do that, right? Mm. It's a little bitty thing. It makes a difference instead of just saying, my name's Ben. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Yeah, basically to make you more prepared to know that it makes things less awkward than like so. That's exactly right. Because because the real I I would actually say the real key to being a great reporter and doing the job to build relationships and rapport in seconds. When you are talking to athletes and coaches, we don't network with them. Like you and I could go and sit down and have a coffee. We could do a podcast like this. You don't. Athletes like that. You literally get to an athlete's 15, 30 seconds, you know, two minutes at a time. And so when you're doing this, you've got to build press really, really fast. And I don't ever want to wonder what's happening in the conversation. I want to take all of the awkwardness out of it. So instead of saying, I have a couple questions for you, I would say, I have a couple of questions about the pitching matchup today. You have time after batting practice, I can find you. See how that changes things just a little bit. And now they can tell me yes or no, 
but I've taken all of the awkwardness out of it. They're not wondering, oh my gosh, do I want to answer two questions? Do I have time to answer two questions? When does she want to do this? Oh my God, what are we talking about? I made it really easy for them to yes. Mm, see, if you tell them like what like you specifically want to talk about, it'll make things much easier. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm talking to talk about this for like two minutes. So I was going to say, it's like yep. to say two minutes at a time, whether it's after the game or before the game, after BP, like it, it just give them an idea of what you want and what you want to talk to them about. That's exactly right. And there's way too many times in conversations, we keep people in the dark and we create suspense that doesn't need to be there. I want it to be very obvious so that people want to talk to me. If you make it easy for people to talk to you, they probably will. Mm -hmm, exactly. And like, why should you get started early when building a resume for college or even a job in sports? Well, I think that it's good to start early if you know that this is what you want to do. You can find ways to start building the skills. Ultimately, being a reporter, working in sports, working on TV, you've got to get a lot of reps. You not only have to watch a lot of sports, that's like a given, right? Like you should be a sports fan. You're mm -hmm. building your sports knowledge base. But there's also things that are going to happen to you. Let's take, for example, it doesn't matter whether you are a reporter, an anchor, or producer. Writer's block. Every single one of those jobs requires you to write. In mm -hmm. fact, most jobs, right, are going to require you to write. There are days that my brain does not want to sit down and write, and it's writer block. But guess what? If I have a deadline, which I always do because T always does, I got to figure out a way to get out of that. If you know you want to work in this industry, one of the ways you can practice is by committing to writing every day for 10 to 15 minutes. Even if you don't want to, write about that game that you watched last night. Write about the game that's come up today. There's so much out there. You can start playing as if. What you want to be as a reporter, you can go out and you can get a job that allows you to be a reporter, but you can also start working on those skills right now. The better your habits are and more experience and reps you have, the easier it is to find success when you start getting into the industry. And it does show that you're serious. I mean, there's a lot of competition for internships, jobs um, across the board. And so it helps show that you have been working on things and um, that you're taking it seriously. Mm -hmm, exactly. Whatever, like you're in your 20s or like when you're a teenager, like whether you want to pursue journalism and like entertainment, sports, etc. Like you, like there's ways to get started, not necessarily in your jobs, so but you can always write because every news station or like entertainment, not saying every like entertainment stories does, but you should, most likely if you want to be a writer, they want to see your writing pieces. Yeah, you wrote. Yeah, they absolutely like, do. And like the best way to, if whether you want to cover sports, it wasn't say like you went to a baseball game that day, right? About that baseball game or how like that player played or how did that um pitcher react that way? Like why do you react that way? Like this things like that is like the way you build that um writing up to what you want to do, it'll gain better experience and to make you become a better writer. Yes, and one of the things I would add to that is. Make sure you have a mentor or somebody that can help 
give feedback and critiques because it's one thing to write and it's one thing to write well. You can write a lot of stuff, but if it's not well-written and if, if there isn't progress being made in the writing style, because there's definite writing style for TV versus online versus print journalism, you've got to have somebody who can give you some constructive feedback and people who can help you. So when I was putting together that stuff behind the scenes, my boss and my mentor, he was the guideline. I would show him, he would give me constructive feedback and I'd go back and I would do it again. So that's the piece that, that you need to make sure you have on that front. But also if you're looking for jobs and you're looking for internship, don't look at professional sports teams. Everybody wants to work there. That is a really, really tough place to start. But your local high school or small college might need some help. Or maybe it's a, a league that has like dodgeball and, you know, kickball for adults. That sport looks different than covering a major team or professional team, but it's still sports and you still get, um, still get experience working in the inner department in college. That's sports and you have to learn how to deal with people and communicate effectively. So your ultimate goal might work in professional baseball or football or hockey or whatever it is, probably not where you're going to start. So let's look at some other ways that have easier entry points. Mm -hmm. Basically, like the lower you go and the more experience you gain, that's where it's going to lead to you to make it, like, basically get a job for a major sports team. Yep. Like, maybe it's to yep. say the Mariners, for example, or the Eagles, like, was to say as an example, but, like, like working for a major league team does not come out, come out right off the bat. It doesn't. Nope. It does not. No. And like, why are communication skills important in the interview, especially for interviews? I mean, I would say communication skills are always important, right? Every job is based on communication skills, even those that are not in the communication field. It's important, especially for what we do and in an interview, because you're communicating with multiple audiences. Mm -hmm. I'm not only talking to the person in front of me, I'm talking to the audience at home. But in that audience at home are the front office staff of the player that I'm talking to. The teammates are probably going to hear what I have to say. And if this is a post-game interview in stadium, they actually play this for the fans that are live mm -hmm. in the building. I also have sponsors to think of and the people at the TV station. I have to communicate to about five or six different groups of people all at the same time while doing a live interview. It's really important to have the messaging dialed in. It's important to know the objective that I'm trying to reach with every question and to make those questions as concise and direct as possible so that I can get the answer that I need and satisfies everybody who's part of that audience. Mm -hmm. Basically, if you do not communicate, from my experience, like with I always like, kind of like look at the hosts that are at the game to make sure to get experience and learn. But then, like if you do not communicate with different people, how are you supposed to know what are you doing or when you go mm -hmm. on there or like what is kind of like your main objective? You want to go from this point A and point B. 
That's exactly right. And I think a lot of communication comes down to, do you know what the objective is? If you can't figure out, if you don't know what that objective is, then you don't have a measure of success. If mm -hmm. you haven't thought about questions ahead of time and you go into an interview, you think, you know what? I'm just going to see what happens and I'm going to be in the moment and I'm going to, you know, just going to ask follow-up questions and I'm going to listen really hard. I promise it's not going to turn out very well mm -hmm. because you didn't have an objective. You didn't know what you wanted to get out of that. You're going to meander through that and something's going to happen. Somebody's going to yell. Um, the fans are going to distract you. Something's going to happen. You're going to lose your train of thought and you're not going to be able to get through that. A lot of communication is thinking through that ahead of time, knowing where you want that conversation to go. Mm -hmm. And like in 2009, you found the talk sporting to me about how to leverage sports, small talk, and attracting new clients and building relationships with existing clients. Like how do working sports and interviewing or hosting, whatever you want to put it, have made you want to start a talk sport with me? Well, there's a lot of stuff that goes into Talk Sporty to me, but here was the main driving force behind it. Sports fans love to talk about sports, but most of the time they are focused on the stats and the score and the outcome. There is so much more you could be talking about during the course of the day. And I know that a lot of people use sports metaphors in business. And I got to be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of sports metaphors. They don't do a whole lot. But it, when I talk about leveraging fandom, number one, it's understanding how to connect with people. If more than half of all Americans are sports fans, and that's based on yearly studies done by the Gallup poll, then... That's something they should be able to talk about because I can easily connect with millions and millions of people in the United States. Number two, I'm an object lesson. I don't want to point the finger at people that are on my team, but if somebody consistently shows up late or turns on a project late or goes past the deadline or you know doesn't email on time and what we have is a time management issue, if it's during football season, you know what I might mention? I might mention some time management issues that happened during an NFL game on Sunday and use that to spark a bigger conversation about, hey, what could that coach and team done better? Okay, now let's think about how this applies to us, mm -hmm. right? So I can use sports to springboard into a much bigger conversation topic. I can also use sports small talk to practice situations that I know are going to come and work. I don't have to agree with every sport fan. I do need to come up with a way to communicate nicely, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to happen in business. I'm not going to like everything gets said, but I came up with a way to communicate nicely. So I'm going to practice when sports conversations so that when the big ones come up, I've got those handled. So sports mm -hmm. business I see a lot of parallels and, and how to make that useful. Mm -hmm. And like, what does like your company teach your clients about communication or even sports? Like what does like company kind of teach them? Yep. So if you're not a sports fan, I have an entire series of videos called Talk Sporty 101 that is the practical way to become a sports fan. It is not learning the rules of me. It is about understanding how to engage in short conversations. If you're always a fan and you want better communication skills, you get 
all of the things I do inside a locker room house that take out seconds that are truly effective communication strategies. It's not communicating more because as we've already said on TV, I don't get more time. I have a short amount of time. Yeah. It's about being effective in a short amount of time. So I teach them how I do that on T and radio and how they work in business. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're not going to get as much time as you like want. Like you have never on sports, TV. You only no. get like a couple of seconds of air time or even a minute mm-hmm. if you're lucky. Like exactly. you only get a certain amount of time and you might not be as long as you hoped, at least get some air time. Even if it's like yeah. a couple of seconds or even up to a minute, just depending on um, rules with new, new pitch clock and all these things. Yep. There's a bunch of yep. like certain time you need to basically be in the interview, whether yep. it's short or long. That's exactly right. And like you wrote a book called The Influential Conversation List, Conversation Skills and Develop Skills. Like how does this book kind of teach everyone about conversation skills when in an interview or basically communicating with others? Yep, that's one of the business books that I wrote, and it is about being strategic and intentional in the conversations. It's about preparing for all of those instances we've been talking about that most people overlook, but there's ways to communicate effectively in short bursts in conversations that I know you are having every day anyway. So I would say it's intentionality and strategy. Mm-hmm. Like that's really the key to every interview. So like you need to make the conversation not necessarily off of you talking, but also the guests that you're interviewing talking to. That's really the key to a good interview. Also, research is also a big key to really having a good interview. Because of course you talk to them about like their work or whatever you want to cover, you get to talk to basically the audience about their work and how they basically got started or advice or whatever you want to cover that's exactly right and, like, and you've done great work reese on this one thank you and like like uh in the book you got um seattle seahawks player doug baldwin for the book like how did you get him to do that <laughs> like i'm a big oh. seattle seahawks fan so i was like i had to ask this question because i'm i'm the biggest seahawks seahawks, seattle seahawks fan well, I've been their radio sideline reporter for 15 years. So I have known Doug since he came into the league. And Doug helped me out tremendously. The very first interview I ever did with him in preseason, I asked a horrible question. I don't even remember what it was. He made me look like a genius. We've been friends ever since. So all I had to do was ask. And I am super grateful that he was willing to write it. Mm-hmm. Like, are you, do you guys still stay in touch? Or is it kind of mm-hmm. like, oh... Like one time all those guys are still around quite a bit. So I keep in touch with a lot of guys. Yeah. That's amazing. The guys the best part about working in sports is like you get to interact with the players and as like make friendships with them and learn kind of about their life, not necessarily in sports, but outside of sports. Yep. And what you learn is athletes are people too. And mm-hmm. that's really where the connection is. I mean, it's cool that athletes, and I love talking to them about their career accomplishments. They are really, really neat human beings. And I enjoy yeah. getting to know them as humans. Mm-hmm. Me too. Like, that's the best part about my job is that like, sometimes like when we get to talk to the players and stuff, like 
we like me and my people like I just get excited because I always love talking to players and stuff like that. I grew up literally waiting outside waiting for autographs or the players. Like that's literally before I even got a job in sports design. Like, the best part even with me having a job in sports or even outside of sports is that like you get to meet the players and kind of learn about them necessarily if it's your favorite player, but learn kind of more about them and their personality outside of the locker room or even on the field. Yep. Yep, I could not agree more. Mm -hmm. And like, depending on time, um, what is kind of some advice for sport sports casters that are just starting out? I would say stick with it longer than you think it's going to take and find ways to get reps. It is not about the number of people that you know. It is about finding a space to do great work so that people can see you show up consistently and do great work. Certainly meet as many people as you can, but all of those business cards or LinkedIn requests, they're not going to mean anything if people can't see you show up and consistently do good work. Find a spot to do that and be willing to hang in there for a little bit because it, it takes a few years for it to get really, really good, but it's worth it. Mm -hmm, for sure. Everything's worth it when you're working hard, right? I think so. Yes. When I get when I get to talk for a living, I am very, very happy. <laughs> Me and you both. I, I could have said it better, but like, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking your time. Come on the podcast. I so appreciate it. And I wish you all the best. And I hope next time I head down to Seattle, which is probably hopefully soon, I'll definitely know maybe you can meet me for coffee or something. It sounds good. Thanks, Kylie. Great. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day, Jen. You too.